a little boy was asked one time about Father's Day. He said, what's it like? And he said, well, it's just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much on the present. <laughs> that, may be, that may be how it is with Dad's Day. And there's a statistic that was true some years ago, and I don't know with the advent of cell phones, it may not hold true now, but on Mother's Day, they said there were the most long-distance phone calls made on Mother's Day, but on Father's Day, more collect calls were made. Now, some of you are looking at me going, what is a collect call? You know, we don't do that much anymore. But uh, Father's Day, the idea for creating a day for children to honor their fathers was begun in Spokane, Washington, 1909. A lady named Sonora Smart Dodd thought it would be a good idea. She was sitting in a service. It was on Mother's Day. She heard a Mother's Day sermon, and uh, she thought, well, about her dad. And her mother had died when she was much younger, and, and she remembered how her dad took the responsibility and did, and did all the work of, of rearing her and taking care of her and, and making all the sacrifices that would uh, be necessary. And so uh, in the eyes of his daughter, she thought he was just the greatest, a very courageous, selfless, very loving man. And so she thought we ought to do something to honor our dads. And so in 1910... There in Spokane, the first Father's Day was held on June 19th, which was her dad's uh, birthday. And in, uh, in 1924, President Calvin Coolidge proclaimed the third Sunday in June to be Father's Day. And we've been celebrating that uh, ever since. Today, I want us to look at some of the foundations uh, that I think will help strengthen our resolve to be the fathers, the men of God, that God would have us to be, particularly as fathers. Does that mean that I think all fathers are bad dads? No, it doesn't mean that uh, at all. But I don't think I've ever spoken to a father who did not say something like this when talking about it. He'd say, you know, I could have done a better job at, and then he might say something, uh, some particular area. I think I could have done a better job in blah, blah. And goes on. So I don't think I've ever spoken to a dad about this that, that wouldn't say something similar to that. I know in my own experience, uh, I look back on my relationship with Nathan, our son, and I see things that I could have done differently and probably have done better. I think most of us as dads feel that way. And all of us would like to strengthen our position, strengthen our resolve to be the kind of dad that God would have us to be uh, here in this in this life. And so I want to read our text today in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 9. And then we'll go back and talk about this and look at four foundations that I think will help us in becoming and being and building up on these foundations to become a faithful father. That's what we want to do. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it. And so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In verses 8 and 9, when he's talking about them being on our hands, I think he's saying to us, men, do what you will with the might of your hands for the glory of God. As you work with your hands, do it for the glory of God. As frontals on your forehead. And he said, when, when you're thinking what's on your mind, let your mind be directed by the very spirit and power of God as you go through your life and on the doorpost of your house and on the gates to your house. He said, let what goes on in your house be directed by the very love of God. Let your hands, your mind, your life, your house, let it be such that reflects and just radiates the truth and glory of God as you go through life. So he's given us some good advice here. So what are these foundations we want to talk about today? Number one is a foundation for faithful fatherhood is a genuine love for God. Folks, that's where it really begins. The gospel writer Mark was quoting Moses on the, or when, when Jesus was quoting Moses on this, the gospel writer Mark says it like this. He says, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing. They were talking with Jesus and arguing a little bit. And recognizing that he had answered them well, he asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Quoting what Moses said in Deuteronomy. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And then he added this, and with all your mind and with all your strength. Your mind. Christianity is not a blind, dumb, mindless religion. Think about what you're doing. And he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. When Matthew quoted this great commandment, he said that all the law and the prophets depend on these two. Everything hangs on these. I think what he was saying was, man, if we got these two figured out, if we can love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, our person, all of our mind, our thinking, all of our strength with what we do, if all these things are guided by the love of God, and then we add to that, we're going to love the folks around us. Then he says, if you got those two together, all the other things begin to fall in place. All the other things begin to fall in place because we have this settled. God, you're the one that I am to love. And when I love you, I'm going to spend time with you. When I love you, I'm going to read your word. When I love you, I'm going to treat those around me with the love of God that I know you would have me to treat them with. And so... As I love you and others around me, other things begin to fall into place. And it's much, much easier in those things. I like this poem that I found by Hazel Hartwell Simon. Love makes obedience a thing of joy. It says, to do the will of one we like to please is never hardship, though it tax our strength. Each privilege of service love will seize. 
Love makes us loyal and glad to do or go and eager to defend a name or a cause. Love takes the drudgery from common work and asks no rich reward or great applause. Love gives us satisfaction in our task and wealth in learning lessons of the heart. Love sheds a light of glory on our toil and makes us humbly glad to have a part. Love makes us choose to do the will of God, to run His errands and proclaim His truth. Love, when we genuinely love God, and it takes all the the work out of common work, it makes it something that we're happy to do. Someone said, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life because it's a joy. And that's what we want to, to bring ourselves to that place where we can say, Lord, in everything I do, I love you. I love you and I love folks around you and my heart and soul and mind and strength is put into it. God, that will help me to be the kind of father that you'd want me to be. I know that's a great foundation upon which to build as we become faithful father, fathers in our life. A second foundation for faithful fatherhood I want us to consider is a genuine love for the Word of God. First of all, we want to look at the living Word of God. John 1, 1, you know it well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What a tremendous passage of Scripture. There are those in other uh, religious groups today that want to tell us that there is, a, there is a, a, an article, if you will, before those, and it says that uh, they want to tell us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. We go, no, 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 no. There is no article there. It's not there in Greek. We haven't found it in any, any of the manuscripts that we've studied through the years. It's not there. The Word was God. And in John 14, or 1, 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was God. He is God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he says, and I, and I came and I lived among you. I became the living word. He is God's truth alive to us. The word of God. Lord, I'm committed to the word of God. And I have a genuine love for the word of God. Because I know it's you. But also what you have left for us in the form of the written word. Love your written word. And, and if we love his word, we're going to spend time in his word. There are a lot of devotional books around that we can get and use. And, and we can always just read the book. I read a chapter every day and, and I just spend some time in there. Sometimes I read it out loud to Susan and she puts down her uh, crossword puzzle and listens and we read together. And we do those things all along at our house. And what a, what a great word the Word of God is. And you know this passage well, Psalm 119, 11, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I remember in vacation Bible school learning that verse early in life when we would go to vacation Bible school times. And, and that was one of the verses we learned. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How many of you remember learning that in vacation Bible school? So many of us. Do Vacation Bible School is a great time. I love the way the platform is decorated today. Don't you like that? Boy, I do. This is, this is a great time when we're having influence in the lives of small children. When our son passed away at age 25, it was on July the 2nd, 2013. It was Vacation Bible School week at Fellowship Baptist Church. And one of the young ladies in our church that was very active in that process uh, came to me, Miss uh, Allison Carter. 
She was our music minister's daughter. And she said, Pastor Bell, we've got, the, we've got the platform all decorated for Vacation Bible School. And at that time, we had a huge Ferris wheel on the platform. But she said, don't worry about that. We're taking all that stuff down. It'll be clear and clean and ready for this funeral. And I said, no, you won't. You'll leave it just like it is. Nathan would have loved it. He loved Vacation Bible School. He was there to work in Vacation Bible School as long as he could. It was a part of his life. I said, you won't take one thing down. You'll leave it just like that for Nate's funeral. And they did. And it was so appropriate and so right. Man, Bible School, where we learn the Word of God and hide it in our heart. New American Standard says, your Word have I treasured in my heart. It's something that's a treasure. I put it in there so that I can learn and grow by it. The Word of God, a genuine love for His Word. In Psalm 119, 105, you know this one, your Word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You want direction for life? Get in the Word of God and see what He has to say for us there. In the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 2, 15, He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Approved to God. Not the pastor. We like it. Hey, it's all about God. As a workman who does not need to be ashamed, you won't have to be ashamed, handedly, accurately, or accurately handling the Word of God. King James says, rightly dividing, cut it straight, be able to teach it straight from what it is, and just give it to us straight up, just like God has it. That's what He wants us to do. I love this story that I want to share with you that Dr. Ralphie Zacharias tells and I heard a little bit of this story on the radio as he was sharing it, and I found a copy of it, and I, I wrote it, and, and I, I, I printed the copy out because I wanted to be able to share it on this point. Ravi Zacharias was in Vietnam in 1971, and he was doing some Bible teaching and study there. And If you've ever heard Dr. Ravi Zacharias teach the Word, you know how what an amazing, brilliant mind that man has and can teach the Word. I've heard him a few times in person myself. What a blessing Dr. Ravi Zacharias is to us. But he said there was a young Vietnamese man there uh, named Hien Pham. I think it's, that's his name. I hope I'm not doing disservice to his name. But he was a translator for the Americans during that time, and, and he was also working with some of the missionaries, and, and he was working with Dr. Zacharias, and they went up and down uh, South Vietnam at that time as much as they could, uh, sharing the Word of God. And this young man was a very a very fine, fine young man, Christian young man. Robbie said that after a time he left and came back to the States, didn't know if he would ever see uh, Hyen uh, Farm again. But he said some 17 years later, and Susan and I did the math on that, that was 1988, the year Nate was born. 17 years later, uh, he got a call. He said, Robbie Zachariah said, when I picked up the phone, he said, I heard someone say, Brother Robbie. And he said, immediately I knew the voice. It was Hien Pham, the man that I had known in Vietnam. And he said, he told me this story. Soon after the fall of Vietnam, he was imprisoned on the accusation of helping the Americans. And uh, his jailers tried to indoctrinate him with all the communist doctrine that they could. Everything against democratic ideals, everything against the Christian faith. And he said he was forced to read only communist propaganda in French and uh, Vietnamese, and he said that daily deluge of Engels and Marx and, and all that propaganda, he said, began to take its toll. He said after a time of just being 
forced that and force fed that and it was all I got. He said, finally, I begin to question my own heart. And he said, I begin to question, uh, have I been lied to about God? Is God real? Have I been lied to about faith? Is my faith real? And he said, I begin to, it just begin to take its toll. And he said, one day I finally decided uh, that's it. I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to I'm not going to do anything with this faith thing anymore. I'm through talking to God. It's over. And he said, tomorrow, that's it. I won't pray again. He said, the next day he was given the dreaded chore, the task of, of cleaning out the latrines. He said, I went in there and I was doing my work and I was so upset. And he said, there was a large tin there and it was filled overflowing with toilet paper. And he said, I noticed a piece of paper in that in that tin that had some English writing on it. And he said, I grabbed that and I, I cleaned it off and I, I put it away and, and I took it back to where I was staying. And he said, that night in the prison when all the others had gone to, gone to sleep, I took that out and began to read. First thing that his eyes hit was Romans chapter 8. I began to read through that and he got down to verse 28 uh, where the passage says, we know that all things... God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. He said, I saw that writing and read down a little bit further in, in the last verses of that chapter. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything present or future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, <clears throat> nothing else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he said, he said, God's conviction began to just flow on my heart. And I knew there was not a better passage of Scripture anywhere in the book from Genesis to Revelation to speak to my heart at that time because that was the day that I was going to quit praying. And God began to speak to my heart about that. He said, I began to weep. Knew that was God's word to me. He said sometime later on, as providence would have it, he was released from prison and immediately set about the task of, of trying to escape from Vietnam and was uh, building a boat, he and some others, and he and 53 more, 54 total, were going to get on this boat and sail to Thailand to try to get away from Vietnam. He said just a few days before we were to leave, four Viet Cong showed up at his door. And said, we've heard you're trying to plan an escape. And he thought, no. He denied it. Told him he wasn't. They left. And he said, I felt bad for lying to these men about that when I knew what I was going to do. But he said, I prayed and said, God, if you, give, if you let me see those guys again, I'll tell them the truth about things. And he said, I was praying, God, don't answer that prayer. But he said, just a couple of days, just before they were going to leave, these four men showed back up. Said, I kept my promise to God. They asked me, said, we've heard that you're planning an escape. Is that true? And he said, yes. And he outlined the story for them. And he said, they leaned over close to him, one of them, and said, can we go with you? Can we go with you? But that's not the end of the story. He said, Brother Ravi, when we got on that boat and we were making our escape, he said, we got into a violent storm out at sea. Folks, I've seen the storms in, in the Gulf of Tonkin in the South China Sea. Our ship was skirting a typhoon going to, 
to Singapore one time when we were there in 1968. And I remember watching a destroyer come out of the wave and go and, and the water crash off the bridge of that destroyer. It was tough sailing out there. But he said, if it had not been for the sailing prowess of those four Viet Cong, we would have died at sea. But God brought us safely through to Thailand. He made his way to America sometime later on and became a businessman. Utterly incredible escape. But it all was based on the Word of God when God spoke to the man's heart in a bad place. Men, aren't we glad we don't have to clean latrines and clean off pieces of the Word of God in order to have it? Are we glad we have the Word of God? And in most of our homes, we have them all over the place. I have several on my shelves at home. Susan has two or three that we've had through, the, or more than that, that we've had through the years. They're just there. I've given some away through the years. Gideons give Bibles away through the years. I keep my Gideon Bible in my back pocket. And I've showed you that before. I keep it there so that it's, that it's there in case I need it. When I'm dealing with somebody, aren't we glad we have the Word of God? I hope there never comes a time when we have to say, God, would you just take the Word of God off of the, off, off of the shelves so that we can learn to appreciate it more? I hope that time never comes, don't you? Word of God. What an amazing thing. Robbie said that he, this story reminded him of a, poem by William Cowper, 18th century poet, when he said this, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. And God will do that for us as we read and study the Word of God. We ought to lead out in daily devotional time with the book of books. We used to spend every day, we'd spend a little time with Nate and just reading from the Scripture. And he would learn to, to quote some of the verses and we'd go through and he'd commit some of them to memory. And even when he couldn't talk very plain, he'd, he'd say those things back out loud to us. I wouldn't take anything in the world for it. And when he shared his testimony here in this place and others, he would say this. He said, when I was six years old, my dad led me to the Lord. Folks, you can't buy that with money. You can't buy that with money. Not at all. No love for God and a genuine love for the Word of God. Foundations for faithful fatherhood. A third thing that I want to talk about is a genuine love for our children. What an amazing thing that God gives to us. The Bible says in Psalm 127, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. How does a man best love his children? He loves them best who brings them to Jesus, who tells them about Jesus and models Jesus uh, in, in the truth of the Word and teaching the Word of God. In Deuteronomy, uh, our text today told us we ought to teach the truth of God to our children on a regular basis. And uh, we ought to do that. In the New Testament, we're instructed 
to teach our children and to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What is the discipline of the Lord? If we'll model for them how to do things according to God's Word, we'll help them see and know the discipline of doing life God's way. That'll be the best for them. Discipline and instruction. If we will spend time with them in the Word of God, model for them how to, how to do what God says, do and live God's way. We can model these things for them. And the best way we'll love them is to love them in the truth of God and show to them by our discipline and actions how true it is that God is how true God is, how real He is for our lives, and how can we possibly accomplish these things without having first trusted Jesus ourselves. So all of us today, one of the first things we need to do is just look back and remember the time we got saved. And we'll know when it was. You know how I know that I got saved? Miss Paulette, I was there when it happened. All right? I know. Do you know? If you do, praise God. If not, you need to make that settled and sure today, Dad, or Mom, or son or daughter, wherever we are. Make sure we know, and then teach them the word of truth. But then there's a story I remember happened. Our youth revival team was in First Baptist Church, Rayford. Not inside, outside, where Florida State Prison is. We're in the little town of Rayford, and, and we were sharing there, and there was a young man there who was going to share his testimony, came up and began to share. He grew up in a Christian home, and he said, I never remember a day in my life that I didn't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he was uh, God's son, that he came to be our Savior. He said, there never was a day in my life that I can ever remember that I didn't believe that to be the truth. And I began to wonder where he was going with that. You see, there's folks who have understood these things and seen these things all their life. And sometimes I've heard folks say, you know, I don't ever remember being lost because I remember believing those things all my life. And, and that's kind of a dangerous place to go. It's good to have that legacy. Thank God for that. But I was wondering where this young man was going to go with that. But he came down to the point where he said, but, I, but folks, I came to a realization that even though I know so much about him, and believe these things are true until I in my own heart place my personal faith in Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. I'm lost and I need to trust Him for my Savior. I know about Him, that's one thing. But to know Him is another. And so he prayed and asked Jesus to come into his heart and be his Savior and Lord too. Because if you say we don't need to be saved, then what we're really doing is putting ourselves on a level with God and saying we're just as good as God. We're calling Him a liar and His Word a liar when He says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This young man brought us to a realization of that truth. Folks, there comes a time when we know we have to place our faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And what a blessing that is. What a shame it would be for you to rear your children in a Christian home and having never led them to understand that they need Jesus as Savior too. I'll never forget the night. It's as plain today as it ever was when I was standing down front at invitation time on a Sunday evening. Nate was sitting on the front row. When the invitation was given, he came to me and he said, Dad, 
I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. Not I want to be baptized. Not I want to join the church. I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. I wouldn't take anything for that. You can't buy that with money. Not at all. Loving our children. The best way to love them is in the truth of God and lead them to Christ. But there's a fourth foundation that we want to close with for faithful fatherhood. And, and I think it's in the New Testament. And that is simply this, a genuine love for our children's mother. A genuine love for our children's mother. This one can't be overstated. It ranks right up there underneath love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. And right there is, guys, love that wife God has given you. Love her all the way. In, it's in Ephesians, and you know it. Paul wrote it to the church of the Ephesians. It's worth repeating. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But uh, while knowing that this might not always be in vogue in today's world, in today's way of thinking, I don't care because it's the Word of God and we're going to do things God's way, okay? That's how it is. And he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, what kind of love is that? That's a powerful love, I thought I'd tell you. I remember the story of the man who went to the, to the uh, uh, counselor. And he said, I need help. And the counselor said, what's, your, what's the issue? The Christian counselor, and by the way, when going to counselors, I believe that's the kind to go to. Because they know. They have God on their side, and that's the way it ought to be. But he goes in and he says, I have a problem. And he said, what's your problem? He said, he said, I just love my wife so much. I just love her. I'm just, I'm just all, I'm in, I'm in all of her. I can't, I, I don't know what to do. I just love her so much. And, and, and it's, it, it's almost like it's becoming a problem for me. And the counselor heard the man's story and he's asking me, he said, well, that's great. But he said, do you love her as much as Jesus loved the church and, and died for her? And he said, well, probably not that. And he said, well, you need to go home and learn how to love her. Now, that's what Jesus, that's what the Word of God says, isn't it? Love her just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What do you want to do? Guys, if you love your son's mom, according to God's Word, then he'll grow up knowing how to love and respect the wife God gives him because he's seen you model it with his mom. And guys, if you love your daughters, according to the way God's word says love them, then she'll grow up knowing what the love of a man is supposed to be for a wife. And when she's looking around for a, for a husband and some guy out there is looking at her for a wife, and that happens among young people. All of us married folks have been there. When she's looking around, she'll know what to look for in a man. And how he's supposed to love someone that's his wife. It's a real strong foundation for becoming a faithful, faithful follower. Dads, we want our children to love Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, our Savior. Love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to love the Word of God and share it with our families. We want to live godly lives in front of 
our children and, and family and be that leader that God would have us to be. As we close, I want to remind you of one truth. It's going to be necessary ingredient if all this that we dealt with this morning is going to come true. It's a story told by David Elkin, and it was in a sermon by Philip Green, preached on 6-17-2010, seven years ago. The man told the story this way. He said, David Elkin was a psychologist, and he tells this story of visiting his child, his son's, middle son's nursery school class. The little kid's there in the class, and at the request of his teacher, wanted this man to come and, and sit in and watch, because she had a young fella in there that was just a tough one to deal with. I know none of you teachers have had one of those, but she did. So she asked this psychologist to come listen in. And he said, while I was there listening to that, I overheard a conversation between my son and some of his little friends at a table over there. The conversation went like this. Child A said, my daddy's a doctor and he makes lots of money and we have a swimming pool. Child B says, my daddy's a lawyer and he flies to Washington and talks to the president. Child C says, my daddy owns a company and we have our own airplane. Kids will do that around with each other. David Elkin said his boy looked over and he said, my daddy is here. Let that sink in, man. Let that sink in. It's great to be all these other things. We need doctors and lawyers and, and businessmen. Nothing wrong with those things. I'm proud to have those kind of people. Maybe some of you here are some of these things. And that's great. Let me tell you the one ingredient that you'll give your child that's better than all the rest of that is your time being there. My daddy's here. Can your child say, my daddy's here? He's here. He spends time with me. He takes time to, to hold me. He takes time to sit down and listen to me. He takes time to, to, to just share with me about what's going on. My daddy is here. My daddy's here. Guys, we want to be good dads, don't we? God has some good things for us if we'll just pay attention and do it. And I think when we do that, God will put his hand on that and say, I want to bless that because that's done in accordance with my will and my way. And I think that's what we want for our families for sure. Beginning with the truth of dad, do you know him as Savior? If you do, praise God. If not, why not settle that right now? Now's the time to make sure that is settled. And we don't stop there. We're just dads. Mom, what about you? Young person, what about you? Do you know for sure that you know him as Savior? All he requests is that you trust him. Lord, I trust you. Here's my life. I put it in your hands. Do with me as you will and be glorified in me. If that's the desire of your heart, he will do it. In just a little bit, after a time of prayer, our musicians are going to come and sing and there'll be men standing here today. And if, if you have made that decision to put your life in Jesus' hands today, then I would certainly encourage you to come and, and just say to these men, today I'm giving my life to Christ. We just want to thank God for you today. And we'll do that. Maybe you want to come and ask one of them, can I talk with someone a little bit more about this? I want to know 
personally just sit down and talk with someone. I guarantee you there are folks here today who will sit down with you and share with you what it means to be a child of God. Maybe you're already a child of God and you're here visiting and you're saying, you know, this is the place I believe God wants me to plant my life. They're looking for a pastor. I know that this church is going to care and love and they're going to reach out and they're going to find the man that God would have to come lead this church. And I want to be a part of that. And you just want to come today by promise of a letter from another church. They'll tell you how to do that. They'll lead you through that. Or maybe you just want to come for prayer. For someone that you know that needs the Lord or, or some other need, the altar of prayer is always open.